Welcome to Victory Church Podcast. We hope you're encouraged as you listen today. Excellent. Well, you know, a few years ago, a survey question was asked of people. And it was this, if you had one question to ask God, what would it be? Now, it's probably not a bad question to ask yourself right now. If you had one question to ask God, what would it be? And depending on the type of person that you are, you might have all sorts of weird and wonderful questions. You might say, well, God, did you create life on other planets? Or did you make unicorns? And if you did, did they actually make it onto the ark? Or maybe you might be a little bit more theologically minded and you might say, Lord, what was Paul's thorn in the flesh? Uh, And all of those things would be valid questions, possibly a waste of a question. Um, But the question that most people actually um, decided they would ask God if they had the opportunity would simply be, God, why is there suffering in the world? Why is there suffering in the world? And this morning I want to have a look at the topic of God, evil and suffering. You know, suffering is a topic or a subject that affects us all. You know, granted, it affects us all at different levels and there's different scopes and and varieties of suffering and and intensities and levels of uh, uh, suffering across our world right now. But the fact is, suffering is something that none of us can actually avoid. As individuals, there are things that just happen in life. You know, there's accidents that we've all experienced over time. There's illness or sickness that we you know, that happens to us and we suffer as a result. There's ultimately the inevitable deaths that take place around us as our loved ones pass on. And so suffering is a part of our life just by fact of being alive today. And then there's suffering that's imposed upon us. Maybe, you know, growing up you were picked on, you were bullied. Maybe since then, you know, you've been um, beaten up Maybe you've been made to feel small. Maybe you've been belittled. Maybe someone has stolen something from you. Maybe um, you're feeling that you've been ripped off in life because of people who have taken advantage of you. Suffering is a part of our experience, all of us, and much of that comes through people. And then there's the, I guess, the suffering that's on a much larger scale, the suffering that you know, we see daily, virtually, on our TV screens and on our computers. You know, we hear about Uh, the tragedies across the world. We hear about things like famines and we hear about floods and, you know, fires. And just recently the typhoon in in the Philippines would be an example. You know, we're often hearing about terrorist attacks and wars and things like that that are are devastating for those people that are involved. And some of us, I know even just recently, while not directly involved in in what happened in the Philippines, certainly know and love people, um, you know, family members and friends who actually were involved and caught up in that. So there's, a, there's an indirect amount of suffering that comes into our lives just by virtue of, of being connected with people that are suffering, even if we're not suffering personally ourselves in those events. And so I guess the question that's raised is, as I've mentioned before, you know, where's God in all this? And if you're an atheist, a person who doesn't believe in God, the answer is quite easy. Well, he's nowhere. He doesn't exist. And really, you know, you need to take that to its logical conclusion and say, well, at the end of the day, tragedy is no more meaningful than triumph. Suffering is no, more, no better or no worse than success because this whole thing is meaningless if God doesn't exist. So think about that one and maybe get your friends to think about it if they don't want to acknowledge the existence of a God. Others, depending on their background, may assume that punishment is a direct result of people's wrongdoings in this life or possibly even in a previous life. 
And so they see there's some sort of um, connection between sin, if you want to use that term, which just simply is about missing the mark and, and messing up, and what we receive in this life. The whole idea of karma, do good things, good things happen, do bad things, bad things happen. That's the way some operate. And others, I guess, just think, you know, where's God in all this? Well, I don't really know where God is in all this. I believe He exists, but if He does exist, He obviously doesn't care too much for people. He's obviously too far removed to really notice what's going on. And this must be all part of His will. There's nothing we can really do about it. And I think as Christians, you know, we need to also have an answer to that question about where's God in all this. I don't think we can afford to just have some, some glib cliches that we throw out. I mean, yes, we can say that God's ways are not our ways. His thoughts are above our thoughts. You know, God moves in mysterious ways and all those sort of things, they're all true to a degree. But I think there's, there's more to the question that we can actually glean if we will go back to the Word of God and try and bring some sense to some of these questions. We're not going to have all the answers and we're not necessarily just by giving answers going to help relieve people's suffering. But I think if we think about the question and I think if we can try and bring answers in a heart of, of love and compassion, that we can go some way towards sparking faith and hope in people's lives who perhaps don't have faith or hope right now. So I want to have a look at three questions or three, um, yeah, three questions, I guess, around this subject of God evil and suffering. We'll make three points, I guess, bring out three truths. And the first one is this, that evil and suffering weren't actually created by God. You know, some people say, well, you know, why didn't God create a world without evil and suffering? I've got news for you. He actually did. He created a world without evil and suffering. If you read the very first book of the Bible, in the, in the book of Genesis, first chapter, it tells us that God created a world and when he had finished all, he surveyed it, he looked at it, and he said, it's very good. It is very good. The only problem with that very good creation is that God made it so good. There were some values that God had in terms of creating us. One of those values that, that was at the top of his list was the value of love. You see, God, the Godhead, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, had lived together eternally in community and in a, in a loving relationship, if you like. And it's the highest value in the universe. And God wanted that to be a part of our experience as well. He wanted us to have the capacity to receive love and to love Him back. Now, He could have, if He wanted to simplify things a little bit and create a, and remove a whole lot of hassles, He could have just put a little string in our back that you pull and we could say, I love you, Father, or we'd say the Lord's Prayer or something. Um, and, and worship could just be automatic without even thinking about it. But what God did he gave us this capacity to love and, and as a result of that, He also at the same time had to give us free will because love necessarily involves choice. You can't program someone to love. They need to be able to free, freely choose to love or freely choo to choose not to love. And so therein is the first part of the problem. God created us to love, but by necessity gave us a free will. We have a choice. The second thing that God did is He created us very good. Before you and I or humanity came on the scene, God looked down at creation and He said, it is good. But when after He'd made mankind, it stepped up a little bit. He said, it is very good. Yeah. Now the thing about something as, as wonderfully complex as a human being is that there's great potential for good. But there's also great potential for evil or bad. And so the more complex an organism, the more potential for good the more potential for bad. Yeah. Think about if God had, 
um, you know, only created earthworms. Would the world be in the mess it's in today? Probably not. I mean, I don't know about you, but I'm not too frightened by rogue earthworms. I'm not even frightened by a bunch of rogue earthworms because while they have a little bit of potential for good, I mean, they do great things in your garden, but they don't have that much potential for evil because they're just earthworms. But if we step it up a little bit, you know, if we look at cats or dogs, again, there's potential for good there, but there's a greater potential for evil, particularly with cats, I think. (laughs) And you probably all saw that one coming a mile away. But, you know, cats can be great companions, but they're a little bit bigger. They've got teeth, they've got claws, and they can scratch, they can do a little bit more damage as well. So there's potential for good, there's potential for evil or suffering. If we step it up another level, let's choose the elephant. Elephants have been used throughout history to great effect. Many great things have been built with the assistance of elephants, moving stones and logs and all those sorts of things. Elephants in their place, under control, being used for good, are great. But a rogue elephant, that's another thing altogether. That's pretty scary, pretty frightening. Unfortunately, we don't have too many of them here in Australia today. But there's something that's far worse than a rogue worm, a rogue cat or dog, or a rogue elephant, and that's a rogue person. There is potential in humanity for tremendous good. And a person with a leadership gift on their life, charisma and an ability to inspire and motivate and unite people can do tremendous good as a leader in society. He can bring a society together. He can bring order. He can bring systems in place. He can, bring, he can create a society that is the envy of the world, just like Solomon did in the Old Testament. Or alternatively, you can have a man like Hitler who had all those same gifts, but used them to unite a country. He took that country to war and that country was smashed and so were many others as a result of that potential that was in his life because of the amazing gift that was in his life. He had tremendous potential for good or tremendous potential for evil, but he was, had the choice to choose which way he'd go. And so I don't think it's fair when you know, people straight away look to God and, as the source of all our problems because basically you know, the Bible tells us that we were created with this tremendous Freedom and tremendous potential for good, as well as evil. But the Bible then goes on to tell us about that mankind essentially, for the most part, has been rebellion in rebellion against God. We've been running headlong from God, determined to do our own thing. We've stepped out of what was initially created to be a world under which we lived in, in which we lived under the blessing and the protection of God. And we stepped out of that. And the moment we did, we reaped a consequence. There was like a threefold consequence that came on. You know, three reasons, I guess, that we experience suffering. One, as I've already mentioned, is the very fact of, of mankind himself. You know, we, we began to become victims of our own greed, of our own selfishness, of our own ability to try and elevate ourselves at the expense of others. And so much of the problems in the world today are not God's fault. They're actually our fault. Much of the suffering, and probably most of the suffering in the world today, and particularly in the last century, which was the most bloodthirsty century in history, was as a direct result of people's choices. A a direct result of people victimising other people, going to war against other people, exerting their will over other people. So that's the first thing. The first, I guess, root of suffering is, is us. The second thing is nature itself. Like I said, God intended us to live in a world that worked with us rather than against us. 
We don't read about pain and labour and toil before the fall of Adam and Eve. Yes, man was put in the garden to tend it, but we have, we have the, the sense that the garden and, and this world in general was, was going to yield up its fruits liberally and easily. But from the moment man went out of God's will, it says, with hard work and with the sweat of your brow will you toil. It talks about labour, um, you know, pain in childbirth and these sort of things. So it's kind of like the world, that which was intended by God to be a blessing and intended to be easy and, and intended to work with us and, and be supportive of our existence here on earth, suddenly things got changed up. And the world became, over time, increasingly a hostile environment in which to live. We see later on, after the, after the flood, that God gave over animals to man. He put the fear of, of uh, men on the animals. We see that there's been you know, many, many um, natural disasters and catastrophes over time, and increasingly we're becoming aware of those. Uh, I'm not sure if they're actually increasing, but it seems like they are. But certainly we're far more aware of them because of the media. And so man is a problem. There's the fact that we're living in a, a world that is subject to bondage and decay. We're living in a world that is cursed by sin and by death. And so I'm not saying that God doesn't intervene in history or into, into natural events at all. And I'm not saying there's not other sources for those things. But generally speaking, it's like God's taking his hand off to some degree and just letting this thing spin down. It's like, you know, you, if, you don't, um, if you've got a car and you just run the thing and run it and run it and run it, eventually it's going to start to go out of whack. It's going to get out of balance and things are going to start to go wrong. And that's what's happening in the world in which we live today. So there are natural, natural causes of suffering in the world today. The third cause, I'll just put broadly under the heading of Satan, but there's an unseen spiritual realm, uh, realm that is hostile to humanity. We find that right at the beginning of the Word of God and we see throughout the Word of God that there's this, there's this enemy of humanity that has a limited degree of influence but a degree nonetheless. And that influence can seem to be able to play out directly through human beings or it can seem to be able to affect natural, uh, uh, nature and, and natural events as well. We see that in the book of Job. We see that, the, that Satan was able to afflict Job in his body with sickness and soreness. Um, we see that he was able to cause events to take place uh, under God's direction that actually caused much suffering in Job's life. Okay, so there's some satanic influence as well that sometimes seems to be able to break into people's lives or into this world and to add momentum to that which is already causing pain and suffering. Remember Jesus spoke about the devil, he's here, he comes to kill, steal and destroy. He is full of hatred and he will go to the very limits that God has set in place in order to try and cause pain and suffering and mess up people's lives. So in light of all that, I think, is it really fair is it really fair to blame God when there are those three other significant factors in play when it comes to reasons for suffering in the world today? You know, recently there was a guy who, who, who killed some people with an axe. I think we apply that same logic. It's like, well, let's lock up the people that invented the axe. An axe in and of itself is neutral. An axe is something that is created with a purpose to do good. But people can still use their free will and misuse that's all. Under the same sort of logic, think about the World Trade Center. I mean, what, do we blame the Wright brothers for that? When those guys flew their plane into that World Trade Center earlier this century? It's the same sort of logic. God is not responsible 
for our actions. He's not responsible for the fact that we have rebelled against him and we have caused a world that's, that's in bondage to decay. He's not responsible for what the enemy does. God oversees it. God understands what's going on. But God himself has set limits in place. And things would be a lot worse if God wasn't involved and wasn't watching over this world. Should we stop all sorts of research and development in our world today for fear of what might happen? Because that's what we're saying of God. God in his wisdom, when he created mankind with this amazing potential to love and this amazing potential for good, God had a plan in mind. I don't think he did it willy-nilly. It wasn't like he was taken by surprise when, things, when the wheels fell off. We know that since the, before the foundation of the earth, Christ was crucified. And we need to, like I said, there's no glib answer here. God knows about the suffering and he's moved by our suffering. But at the same time, he knows the beginning from the end. And having weighed it all up in his goodness and his justice and everything else, he said, this is, this is worth it. I'm going to launch this Project Earth, if you like. So that's the first thing. God is not responsible. He did not create suffering and pain for us to endure. The second thing is that evil and suffering are not proportional. Again, many religions in the world have this concept and many Christians also operate according to this idea that you know, you know, bad things are happening in your life. You must have really done something bad. You must be wreaking punishment. This is God's judgment on your life because of what you have been doing. And that has been, you know, that was unfortunately poor old Job back in the Old Testament. He had to experience that from his best friends. You know, he was a guy who was actually being commended for being the most righteous person on the face of the planet and it made him a target of the devil and so God says, no, I'm committed. I, I believe this guy is, is, is gold through and through. Test him if you like. And so, you know, all, all hell breaks loose around Job and all his friends can do is, is wonder what his hidden sin is. And that's, you know, that's, that's pretty consistent throughout human history. And we see that Jesus had to deal with the same uh, questions or the same attitudes, that, you know, that bad things happen to bad people and good things happen to good people. Jesus, um, uh, in, in Luke chapter 13, verse 1 to 5, it says this. Now there were present at that time some who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifice. In other words, there's some guys going to worship and they've been killed in the act of worship and their blood and the blood of the sacrifice has mingled together on the, on the altar and on the floor around about. And, and again, Someone brought that to Jesus' attention. Jesus, as Tone's been speaking about a lot lately, you know, Jesus knows what people are thinking. And so he cuts straight to the chase and he says, do you think these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans when they suffered this way? I tell you no, but unless you too repent, you too will perish. And then he goes on and says, all those 18 who died when the Tower of Siloam fell on them. You know, more of a natural disaster, I guess. Do you think they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you no, but unless you repent, you too will perish. And Jesus has that really annoying habit of cutting straight to the chase. Here's these people in their self-righteousness wanting to tell Jesus about this little event that had taken place as if to say, well, you know, those guys, they must have really deserved that. And Jesus turns it straight back and says, hey, look, I guarantee you this. If that was a direct act of judgment, it would have gone a lot further than those 18 people who were squashed by that tower. This whole place would have gone up and, you know, it would have been like one of those nuclear plumes just over Jerusalem. The whole lot would have gone. Or the whole lot of you would have been killed by the Romans in that, if it was just about who's guilty. 
And we've looked at that just recently about the fact that all of us before God stand condemned because of our sin. And so that's the first thing. You know, God, if he's truly bringing judgment, we're all, we're all finished. And fortunately for us in this day and age, those direct divine acts of judgment, Allah, Ananias and Sapphira, they are few and far between. Very rarely can we see a direct correlation between the judgment of God breaking out in a person's life. And when it happens, it happens because God is making a point that he wants people to take notice of. But for the most part, it's very difficult to tell whether it's judgment, whether it's just part of life, whether it's actually the enemy attacking a person because they're actually getting a righteous life. We, we can't really be making judgments on those sorts of things. The second thing is that Jesus is really saying that these tragic events, when they happen should actually be a reminder to us that none of us is guaranteed of tomorrow. And we should take the opportunity while we can to get ourselves right with God. So don't stand in judgment of others. Think about ourselves. Say, it happened to them. Am I really any better than them? Am I guaranteed of tomorrow? God, forgive me now and get ourselves right with God. So there's this correlation that people have between evil and suffering. But it's not just a simply a matter of bad things happen to good people, uh, sorry, to bad people, and good things happen to good people. You know, the Pharisees were very self-righteous, you know, in their, they were the upper crust in society, if you like, and they had assumed that just the fact they were doing well in life was it a sign of God's approval on their life, and yet we know that anything was really, nothing could be further from the truth. And so in this life, we do see that bad things happen to good people, and good things happen to bad people, and the Bible endorses that. The Bible, that is a reality in the Word of God. You know, Psalm 73, the psalmist is saying, God, how come? Here am I, I almost slipped because I had my eye on the wicked and everything seemed to be going well for them. But then when I came into your presence, I recognized you actually placed them on slippery ground. Yes, they'll have their moment in the sun, but at the end of the day, they're like grass and they will wither and die and they'll spend eternity without you. We need to keep perspective. <clears throat> Third and final thing I want to have a look at is the, the fact that evil and suffering aren't going to last forever. People often say, if God is all loving and God is all powerful, why doesn't he do something about this mess? And the simple answer to that question, he's going to. He hasn't yet, but he's going to. He will. The fact that he hasn't, is a demonstration of his love for us. I'm going to read 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. It says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. The context there is talking about the Lord's return and judgment and all that follows. He's not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. No, he's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. In other words, God is maximising the time. Yes, it means that there's a continuation of suffering and pain and misunderstanding and frustration and all that is part and parcel of life on this planet. But you know, where there's life, there's still hope. And so God is committed to us and he's committed to the extending the life of this earth that he might bring in as many as possible into his family because God is about family. Ultimately, he's making and creating a family for himself. Presently, I guess just the nature of suffering makes it hard to see past. It seems to climb all over you. It's so pervasive. It's so intense. It seems to affect everything when you're in the midst of suffering. But there's a day coming 
when all of our suffering, as big and intense and all-pervading as it might seem right now, will pale into insignificance. Paul, who wrote much of the New Testament, was a man who had endured much suffering. He gives us a list in Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, I think it is, he talks about some of the things he'd endured as a believer. He'd endured being beaten 39 times, with 39 lashes five times. He'd been beaten with rods three times. He'd been shipwrecked three times. He said he'd gone, at times he'd been naked. At times he'd been um, spent time in the open sea. There were times when he was literally famished, starving to death. There was times when he was thirsty. There's all the, the pressure of, of the nonsense going in and on and around and about in the church. There's the fact that he would have had friends who were killed for their faith or at least were persecuted and put in jail for their faith, as well as all the other stuff that just happens by virtue of being a human being alive in those times and indeed in any times. And Paul says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Our light and momentary troubles. In other words, if you could get all of Paul's hardships and assign a weight to them and put them on one side of the scales and then assign a weight to the glory that awaited him. It's like all of his troubles are like a feather on this side of the scales. And on this side, just come in and pound down container upon container, shipload after shipload after shipload of, of weight of blessing and glory that he's going to uh, um, be the recipient of day after day, year after year, eternity or into eternity, all eternity long. He's saying it's light. Whatever I've had to experience, it's light compared to what's ahead. It's momentary. It's transient compared to what's ahead. Think about your life. There are things that you've experienced that at the time it's like each second seems like an hour because the, the pain of suffering is so intense. Whether it's physical suffering, whether it's emotional burden that you're carrying because someone you love is, is close to death or, or you know, there's, you're worried about work or you know, your future or whatever. But the, the weight of that season. I mean, imagine the worst day you've ever had in your life. Let's think about... Um, you know, the start of this year, imagine it was the worst day you'd ever possibly had. Imagine it was a day when you're, you got, you're driving to the doctor to pick up your, your results, your test results that you've had. You've had some tests done recently and on the way, you have a car accident. And that's bad enough. I mean, you, you barely come out of that able to walk. And you realise, oh no, I didn't pay my registration. <laughs> my insurance has expired. Man, can it get any worse? Well, yes, it can because you get to the doctor and they said, sorry, bud, you've got three days to live. Well, that's a bad day right there. <laughs> but then you get home and the kids have been cooking. But someone asked if they wanted to go and play and so they went out of the house and there's like this little smouldering thing on the bit of land that used to have your house on it. Well, that's a bad day. But imagine that's the start of your day 
But then you have the rest of the year. And imagine that three days into the year, instead of dying, you're miraculously healed. And imagine you didn't realise you had so many friends that these friends came and they didn't just, they didn't just help you rebuild your house or find a, a, a hotel for a few days. They actually rebuilt your house, but rebuilt it two or three or four times be- bigger and better than you ever could have imagined. Imagine that. And imagine the fact that your car got fixed and it was fixed beyond anything you could ever... Look, you get where I'm going with this illustration. Do I need to keep going with it? When you get to the end of the year, if someone asks, how was your year? What are you going to say? Oh, it sucked. (laughs) Because of what happened on the first day? Or are you going to be so caught up in the goodness for the remaining 364 days... You say, I've had an awesome year. Because that's what it's going to be like in heaven, not to minimise the pain and the suffering that people are enduring right now. But when Paul talks about light and momentary, he's talking about it's a season that we live in. And the full breadth of this light, it's a blink in the light of eternity. God has amazing things planned for us. And we dare not focus on the, you know, we don't want to minimise the pain and suffering that we experience or, or of those around about us, but we've got to keep things in perspective because it will pass away. Even for the, the worst tragedy on the face of the planet, any person is, is, a, is a heartbeat away from the presence of God and all that he has lined up for all of eternity. Paul goes on in Romans chapter 8, verse 18, he says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. When you're in heaven and you've been there 10,000 years and someone says, how's your life? You're not going to be consumed with the disappointments of what took place here on earth. You're not going to be seething over a sense of injustice. You're not going to be shaking your fist at God and say, God, how could you do this or do that? Because we're going to be on the other side. And even if someone said, but but remember what it was like. Remember what you endured. To some, they're going to say, remember that your body was burnt to a crisp while everyone stood by and cheered. And the person that's endured that is going to say, oh yeah, I'd forgotten that. But when I look back, All I see is God's goodness. All I see is his goodness. I have no regrets because these light or those light and momentary troubles achieve for me an eternal glory that's far outweighed them all. Whatever you or any person that you may encounter is enduring right now, just keep this in mind, that God has all eternity to make it up to us. God has all eternity to make it up to us and he will because he is loving and he is good so in conclusion evil and suffering weren't created by God evil and suffering aren't proportional bad things do happen to good people and good things do happen to bad people in this life but most importantly evil and suffering won't last forever I think we owe it to people to be able to bring answers to those sorts of questions and I trust that I've brought some, something that's encouraging and has got some substance and weight to it 
that we can use and not just spew out cliches to people who are, who are sick and tired of cliches, but that we can come to people with some answers and with a heart of compassion that ultimately is going to point them to a God who, who they've misunderstood as being uncaring and aloof. And yet we can help them to understand that God is for us. God is loving. God is kind. And while he hasn't prevented our problems and our suffering, he has promised to be with us in and through all the trials that we'll face on this planet. I want to conclude by just reading a scripture from 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 to 7. And this is Paul speaking again. He says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. For just as the sufferings of Christ flow over into our lives, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. So yes, there's troubles. Yes, there's persecution. Yes, there's suffering of all sorts in this world today. But God's promise is to be with us and to give us comfort, comfort in order that it might overflow and comfort others. Jesus' final words just about before he went and was arrested in John chapter 16, 33. Again, the context, he's been talking to his disciples about what's to come and some of the challenges they're going to face. And he says, I have told you these things so that, you may, so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. Thank you for taking the time to listen. If you have any questions, please email us at admin at victorychurch.net.au. 